Hi everyone, and thank you for checking out the Dancing Eyes podcast, episode 8. My name's Frankie Caputo, and this is a podcast where I talk to people with nystagmus about life for a while. We talk about some of the ups, the downs, the good things, the bad things, and everything in the middle. Today, my guest is Talene. In this episode, we discuss the benefits that meditation and certain breathing exercises can have on nystagmus. We also discuss her experience with acupuncture and how that has affected the movement of her eyes and a lot more. If you're watching this episode on YouTube and you haven't done so already, please hit that like and subscribe button and also leave me a comment. I really appreciate it. I also want to let you guys know that in the near future, we're going to have some new formats of this podcast, which I'm really excited about. Right now, I'm working on putting together some episodes with just parents, ideally a parent with an older child and a parent with a younger one. The idea would be that the parent with the older child can share some wisdom and tips to the other parent, and they can both share their experience raising a child with nystagmus. So if you're a parent and you're interested in coming on for an episode, please shoot me an email at frankiecaputo at gmail.com. My email will also be linked in the description below. Lastly, new episodes will be out on the first and third Monday of every month, so make sure to keep your eyes out for those. With all that being said, I hope everybody listening enjoys and gets something from this episode, and let's get on to the show. I pressed the button. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dancing Eyes podcast, episode eight. Oh, my God, it's episode eight. That's crazy. Uh, my name is Frankie Caputo, and my guest today is Talene in the blue. Hi, everybody. Um, okay, so she, she lives in Colorado. So first person that I've had from Colorado before. So most people that I've had are from the U.S., but I've had a couple people like uh, Pip was in the Netherlands and my most recent guest, uh, Mitchell, he, he's in Scotland. So Scotland wow, is an interesting cool. one. Yeah. There's people from Nystagmus all around the world, Frankie, and you're bringing them together through your podcast. That's awesome. It's exciting. <laughs> it is. It's very there, cool. There's a lot of people in the UK with it too that I've noticed, but maybe they're just more vocal over there. Uh, I, I love you. I love that through the power of technology and Facebook and Instagram, people can unite in ways that, I mean, we never could. When I was a kid, I felt very alone. So this is really cool. You're giving the world a gift. Very, very neat. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. I wish, I wish I had it a few years ago. So I'm happy that some people are going to have it, you know, what, what do you do for your work? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, I work for, uh, well, Wells Fargo. Um, I work in the mortgage industry. I've been there for uh, close to 20 years, 20 years in April, actually. Um, and I do something that uses my eyes all day long. Like I generally, you know, um, I'm in front of a computer screen eight to 10 hours a day. Um, and some days it can be kind of draining on my eyes. I was, I'm a meditator. So earlier today, I was kind of like getting through my work day by breaking out a couple of times and meditating, which helps to relax my eyes. But in, in the most part, my eyes are not an impediment to my work. Um, I've had various jobs in the mortgage field. I've been, an, I was an underwriter for many years. I was implementation consultant, project manager. Now I'm what's called a, it's a very long title. It's a business execution, uh, business execution consultant, which basically means that I lead, um, I oversee and lead large initiatives for Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo to solve regulatory issues. So kind of like projects or changes, but things that generally um, are something that we need to improve with our regulatory compliance. So it's something I really enjoy. It's uh, it's interesting work and uh it's kind of funny when I was growing up, I had, a, you know, at times different aspirations of, I was a kid, I wanted to be a, a policeman, a cop, or I wanted to be a veterinarian. I love animals, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I remember for a long time saying like the cop thing, I want to be a cop for many, many, well, years, I guess it was when I was probably 10, 12-ish era. But, um, you know, my mom was very forthright with me and I thank her for that. She said, you know, there's gonna be things in your life that you can do and things that you can't. And you're probably not going to be a sharpshooter. You're probably not going to be a cop. You're probably not going to be a veterinarian because it's going to be very difficult for your eyes. So when I went to college, I looked at just a business path because business is just so, I mean, you get a business degree and it helps you in so many avenues of life. And so that's what the path that I went towards and it's worked out well. And I really enjoy um, the role that I'm in. Um, to anybody out there with nystagmus, I would just say, you know, don't, don't let it hold you back from possibility. I think there are some things that are harder for us to do, but there's generally a way, maybe not a sharpshooter, but there's generally a way to take it to where you want to go in life. So 
I'm curious, what are some of the, like, the most surprising jobs that some people with nystagmus have? You know, like, what, what, I'd be curious to have somebody who, who is, like, like, I guess you have to have, like, some vision requirements. Like, obviously, you're not going to have, like, obviously, you're not going to be a pilot with nystagmus. <laughs> I wouldn't want my pilot to have nystagmus, so. Not a yeah, bus driver. <laughs> hopefully not, yeah. So, in that way, your nystagmus has, um, has had some involvement with your career choice. Yeah, it definitely has. I had I had to be realistic, you know? There's a time, I mean, um, that we all have to be realistic with ourselves, right? And, and really, you know, I don't think that I've lost anything in life by picking a realistic path, and I'm very happy and very challenged with it. And, you know, in, in, my, in my life, it's hard to imagine now if I was a cop or something, you know? Just, it becomes, it, you, you adjust, right? It's like mm -hmm. anything in life. Maybe you have a challenge and just adjust and, and go from there. And I, I certainly feel like I have every opportunity in my life I've made the most of um, and adjusted for my eyes accordingly. So I think that's a good way of looking at it. So er, early when you're talking about your job, you were saying that you would work eight to 10 hour days and it, that could be stressful in your eyes. And you mentioned, um, you, you mentioned meditation. I want to talk a little bit more about that. So um, I, how, how, do you, how do you use meditation uh, to, to your benefit? So I've been meditating since October 1st. I'd really kind of been looking for something different in life just to help manage stress, you know, help sleep better at night. Stress and sleep, I'm sure you've experienced, Frankie, with nice day, and this are very detrimental. They make our eyes go from, you know, this to whoa, you know? It's oh, just yeah. like they're, they're definitely catalysts for our eyes being at their worst. So, um, and especially using my eyes as much as I do at work, I want to make sure that I was able to not have a headache at the end of the day. So um, I started meditating. I do seed meditation, seed, veridic seed meditation. Um, and I do that in the morning and the evening. And what that helps me to do, I just really, I close my eyes. I say a chant over and over my mind, a mantra, my mind for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. And even tonight, as I was saying, it's just, I had a stressful day. I had a very busy day at work as, as many days are at work and most people's employ employment. Um, and just sitting quietly for those 20 minutes tonight, I could literally feel my eyes like the jerking was reducing as I was meditating. It's something where I was on the cusp of a headache and meditating, just like closing my eyes, calming my mind, relieved so much stress for me. And with that, my eyes slowed down. My headache was gone again in the 20 minutes. And so mm. I just, I think it's a great way to relieve stress. I hit the pillow at night and I fall asleep like that. There's a time in my life where it took me an hour or two to get to sleep. So um, it's really helpful for me. Um, and for anybody with nystagmus, if you're feeling like you have stress or maybe you're not getting sleep that you want to, um, I, I find it very beneficial. Um, have you ever tried meditation, Frankie? Um, I do. I meditate twice a day. So, well, there you go. So there's I'll something that we have in common right there, <laughs> as well as the nystagmus. Yeah. So I'll, I'll wake up and the first thing that I do is I stretch and then I'll meditate for 10 minutes. And same thing before I go to sleep at night is I'll stretch and I'll meditate for 10 minutes as well. And, you know, um, occasionally if my eyes are going a little bit crazy during the day, I won't, I won't necessarily meditate, but I'll breathe. I'll focus on my breath and yeah. I'll do nothing else, but just focus on my breath. And that, that right there, I really think is almost a surefire way of just not only calming down your eyes, but calming down your mind. And if you're anxious mm -hmm. or if you're feeling a little bit lousy, just, you know, put down the electronics for a little bit because, you know, I think that could also be harmful yeah. to your eyes, but put down the electronics and just breathe and just be there for a little bit. And I, I definitely recommend uh, focusing on your breath or doing meditation exercises for anybody who has nystagmus for sure. And I can also relate to you about the going to sleep thing, because, you know, when I, when I meditate before I go to sleep, I'll go to sleep instantly, just, just right away. Awesome. I, yeah. <laughs> So did that start recently with you due to the meditation or were you going to sleep yeah. easier before that too? I was having a terrible time sleeping, just a lot of life stress building up over time. I think we all have ebbs and flows of that throughout our life and just really, yeah, I would just lay there and you know, every thought in your mind comes to meet you at night when you're, when the, <laughs> everything else is quiet, right? So mm -hmm. all these, you know, hundreds of thousands of thoughts, honestly, crossing one's mind, just really, it's impactful to sleep. It's impactful to really resting our eyes, really resting our mind, which is part of our vision, obviously. So um, yeah, I, I think it's really a tool. I wish I would have known about it, you know, when I was 10 or 12 or 15 or 16. Um, it's something where, you know, I'm, I'm learning about it now and I just, I can't 
say enough about it. I, I think the people at work that don't have nice diagnosis are sick of me bringing it up because I'll be like, oh, I'm missing it today. I feel so much better. It, but it is very helpful. And I, I think that putting a light on that is just something that's valuable because not everybody knows it's out there. I didn't know when I started meditating, I didn't expect nice, my nice diagnosis to feel any kind of relief, honestly. I didn't know that it would help me to the degree that it has. Um, and I, I just, I really cannot um, promote it enough. It's free and you can do it anywhere. Yeah. And it's better than like a medication in your body, whether it's Ambien or a blood pressure medication, all these things, I just feel like um, natural solutions are, are good. And I really feel like it's something worthwhile. So, yeah. So and I'm, another thing is you're always going to have the time for it too. I mean, who doesn't have 10 minutes in the day to sit down and do that? Like it's available to anybody. And that's a good point too, Frankie. There's been times where, again, looking at a screen all day long, whether you're a kid working, you know, in home now with the remote world that we're all living in, or whether you're somebody who's just on a computer every day, there's times that just in the middle of a day, I just have to like take five or 10 minutes and just allow myself, I close my eyes, rest my eyes, and whether it's stress or just I feel like a headache from a nystagmus and jerkiness coming on, I just allow myself that five, 10 minutes calmness and mindfulness to really calm down. And again, I can feel if I have, if I'm on the start of a headache or I can really feel my eyes jerking, they calm down even in five or 10 minutes. So if it's something that people are interested in, give it a try. Um, there's lots of forms of meditation out there. I really like seed meditation, but I can only say that after three months. I'm not an expert by any means. Uh, so either whatever works for people, the breathing exercises I have read are tremendously helpful. And I want to get to those as, as well, Frankie. So thank you for sharing it about that. Uh, for sure. Process. So seed meditation, is that S-E-E-D? Yes. Yes. Okay. Like planting a seed in one's mind. Yes. Oh, sweet. Okay. Do you have a, like a specific YouTube channel that maybe anybody could check out? Ooh, I don't think I do. Um, the, the kind of the founder of Sea Meditation, her name is Sarah McLean. She has a book um, out there. I don't have it right handy, but it's, oh, it's called Soul Centered by Sarah McLean. It's a really good, really good book. It really walks you through the Sea Meditation process. Sarah was a student for many years of Deepak Chopra, Chopra, I'm probably slowing the name, <laughs> but um, she is very versed in different meditation styles. And seed meditation is really for somebody who is active, who doesn't have a lot of time to sit and do mantras and really get deep into it, yet still needs the same benefit in their daily life. So okay. nice bridge. So is there anything else that you would do to decrease the movement in your eyes? Like what, what else helps you out there? Well, the other thing that I do that I found helpful over the years is uh, exercise. Um, again, exercise is a huge, huge mitigator of stress. And again, with our eyes, they're impacted by stress. I know mine are. On days when I'm stressed, they're going a lot faster. So I, I try to get out and run uh, three to four times a week um, and just find ways to be mindful in the moment. So I love to hike. I love to get out in nature. I find that always to something that grounds myself and kind of helps reset myself and, again, reduces my stress. So we're all different. Whether you want to hop on your bike and go for a five-mile bike ride or around the block or whatever works for you, just sometimes sitting outside in nature, I find to really reduce my stress and um, and just taking time, recognizing where, acknowledging when I feel tired, you know, um, mm. taking a break away. So, how about you? Um, what, what do I do to help? You know, the breathing stuff helps a lot. Another thing that I do is yeah, going for a walk, just being out in nature, 100% will will help me out a lot. I really find a lot of negative things could come to your life from abundance of technology and being, oh. being on the computer too much. And we got to talk about that too, just because there's so, there's so much that comes with that. You know, it's a blessing and a curse, the, the internet, but it's very addictive and all these, all these applications, you can just scroll, 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 and it, it feels good in the moment, but there's no fulfillment, there's no fulfillment coming from that. And yeah. It's it, yeah. So you know, me mentally that could really mess with me and physically, you know, as far as my eyes, that could definitely mess with you, with me too. And, you know, for you, I, I assume that that has to be a struggle that you've dealt with working eight to 10 hours on the computer. Yeah. And I'm very, very lucky. Um, I'm in a position where I kind of, I don't have to be there. There's some positions, obviously when you're in a production role, you're, you're there every single minute. You don't really leave your computer except for your breaks or whatnot. And if, if I need you know, last Friday, I had a massive headache from work stress and so forth. And I just went and laid down for an hour, you know, it, and I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Um, but things like that help um, recognizing when I need time off honestly helps. You know, sometimes I think, especially if you're somebody who's a busy mom, for example, and you're working, you're ha you have kids in the home and you have your eyes that are giving you a headache and so forth. It's easy to forget to prioritize yourself. 
and just really still taking time, like doing a check-in with yourself, like, where am I? Why am I feeling like this? And whether you have nice segments or not, that's just important to do a check-in. You know, sometimes in life we get going through the motions so quickly that we forget to actually prioritize ourselves and our own self-care. And whoever you are, just taking time for whatever connects you to your soul, whatever connects you to something bigger beyond, you know, work is so important to do. And, and just, I, I, I find that helps me manage the stress, which in turn helps me manage my eyes better. Yeah. So essentially just taking a step back from yeah. the daily flow of life and just, you know, taking a step back, you know, taking a few breaths breathe. and just breathe. Yeah. yeah. Like the Pink Floyd song. It's a great song. Yeah. yeah. A few years, I tried one other thing a few years ago, which was, um, something I thought about for a long time, Frankie, which was acupuncture. Acupuncture is also extremely helpful for stress and eyes. So in my case, I had really been encouraging my husband for years to go and get acupuncture because Western or, uh, modern medicine wasn't helping him as far as like his aches and pains and so forth. So he went and started acupuncture and felt really good results around it immediately. And so I thought, you know, I'll look into it and see, I really don't have any aches or pains at this point in my life, but can it help my eyes? My one, my one thing that's kind of always a problem. Um, and I say it's a problem, Frankie, but I've worked around it so much. At the end of the day, it's, it's still something I wish I didn't have. You know, I wish I could see perfectly. My husband has 20-20 vision. He can see things that I can't even see. He'll point things out to me and I'm like, huh? What? Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm missing, right? So it's like, I know what I know. But I really started acupuncture with the thought in my mind of, what else is there? Is there something that can help me to be able to see um, a license plate, for example, a house number, for example? You know, we have eagles in our backyard. My husband points out the eagles, but I can't see them. So just things like that. So I started acupuncture. I did acupuncture for about 10 months. Um, I did notice almost an immediate benefit to it in that everything was crisper, if that makes sense, just more bold. Uh, for on a license plate, for example, I'd come out of the acupuncture section uh, session and just the license plate numbers, letters were just right in my face, just as bold as they could be. Really? Um, yeah. And so that was a really huge benefit. And I could also take recordings of my eyes, both before the acupuncture and after the acupuncture. And I saw very significant reduction in the eye jerking. So I was very excited about this to start, as you can imagine, right? I'm seeing my eyes drinking less, just the acupuncturist, which if you ever go to acupuncturist out there, anybody, make sure you go into a licensed and certified acupuncturist. Very important. Um, and also in certain states, sometimes insurance covers acupuncture, sometimes it doesn't. That all depends on how the legislature that state deems acupuncture. Some states view it as kind of like a cosmetic surgery equivalent. Like I was in Iowa when I did acupuncture, Iowa views it as a non-medical procedure. Whereas now I live in Colorado, Colorado, in fact, does cover it as a viewed medical procedure. So something to think about if you're, if you're looking um, at that option. But for me, acupuncture was something I was paying for out of pocket. It ran about a hundred bucks per session. And I really wasn't seeing the improvement long-term that I was hoping for. So although my eyes, the jerking had reduced dramatically after the session and that they said it would hold longer the more sessions we did, I didn't find that to be the case to the degree I needed it to be to justify the expense. Mm. So I might get acupuncture on Monday morning that um, hold, might hold until Monday night, but then by Tuesday, my eyes would be jerking again. So I never got it to hold as long as I wanted to for the cost that I was paying. I'm curious um, how long you would need the benefits to last for you to consider it to be <laughs> worth it. Well, as I was told, everybody is different, right? Which I can't argue with that. You know, maybe you would have had more benefits than I would or vice versa. Um, there's no perfect thing. After talking with my, um, my eye doctor, which I'm very, very lucky. I have a great eye doctor at University of Iowa, um, hospitals and clinics, who's a specialist in nystagmus. But, um, you know, he said he's seen no definitive proof that acupuncture does help long-term. I do think going back to our earlier comments, kind of like similar to meditation with acupuncture, it reduces your stress. It helps you sleep. It reduces inflammation. There were times in the acupuncture table, I would just fall asleep. I was so calm and I had, you have a bunch of needles in, in you but you're just so relaxed. And by the way, the needles do not hurt. They're like little, almost cat hairs, just very, very little things. Um, but I definitely felt like it was relaxing. It helped me sleep again, but you know, and I can only speak to my experience. If other people um, have a different experience, I'd sure love to hear about it. Maybe on a podcast one day, Frankie. Yeah, for sure. You're the first person that I've spoken to that's brought up the acupuncture 
and I've I've heard about the the acupuncture before back when I was in high school my mom had brought it up, brought it up to me because she had read something about it and I actually got these little things off of Amazon I believe there are these little uh pads that you glued onto your veins and they would have like little dots on them and they're supposed to be like a very mild form of acupuncture and I would wear them to school in hopes that they would help me out. And I never actually noticed a benefit from them, but I did that for maybe a month or so. And I would put them throughout, like, on, on my, just, you know, the veins. I probably did it wrong. I, I, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but I was, I was hoping for some type of result. <laughs> I love that as a teenager, you were so industrious. You're thinking outside the box. You're like, I'm going to do this and commit to it all day long. That's oh, it was my mom. It was, it was all props <laughs> to my mom. It was not my idea. She brought it up to me. I said, well, I'll do almost anything to, to try to get these eyes to calm down. So, mm. uh, been there. yeah, that, that didn't work very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, moms have to find things, you know, my mom, I got to give a shout out to my mom. That's okay. <laughs> I know you have an awesome mom too, but my mom was told so many, th when she had a child with nice diagnosis, my mom was basically told that your child's not going to be able to do much. Um, it was back in, I was born in 1977. So kind of the dark ages, I think of the nice diagnosis times, right? <laughs> Things have improved a little bit since then. Uh, definitely, I think in the world of technology, people are talking about it more. That always helps to, to have representation, lend a voice to getting traction. But back in, when I was in the early 80s, when I was a kid, I remember my mom and I were trying to find specialists and I think it's so important that parents do this because when you have kind of a, an atypical condition, a non-vanilla condition like nystagmus, you know, it's hard to find resources. I, I just can't, I cannot thank my mother enough today. I am who I am because of her. She was tenacious in finding people that actually knew what they're talking about. It's so easy to go to like a, a, a standard doctor's office and think that that optometrist, op ophthalmologist, whatever you're seeing, knows nystagmus. The fact of the matter is they often do not. It's not their daily bread and butter. They maybe see a few cases in their lifetime, in their careers. Um, oftentimes, people can have nystagmus. Like my mother, for example, had very mild nystagmus, never even knew it. Um, but my mother refused to allow uh, doctors that didn't really understand the condition to rule her child's life. When I was probably six or seven, um, sh she had already been told from doctors, never let her ride her bike in the street. She'll never drive. She'll never have a normal life. Just, just be very careful with her, you know, kid gloves. And we were outside taking clothes off the clothesline one day at night, actually. It was, it was full night. And I was able to see as a small child, ants crawling on the clothesline, the very top of the clothesline, you know, you maybe, I don't know, three feet tall and I'm seeing way up here. And my mother's like, okay, she can see stuff. She's not like, <laughs> she's not completely, you know, beyond normal activity. Mm -hmm. So uh, she continued her search to find specialists. As I mentioned, University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinic have, has a wonderful, it's called the Low Vision Center. Um, they have it both for pediatric and for adults. I was very fortunate that was in the state I lived in. Um, as I said, I live in Colorado now. There is another uh, specialist that I, was, I found through the specialist I went to there at University of Iowa out here. And one of my biggest concerns about moving to Colorado from Iowa was just being able to be able to drive. In Iowa, I had to go through a special process for that. And I was very concerned because it's different in every state, what would happen in Colorado? Um, my vision is 2070 corrected. Um, and that's not always a guarantee of a license. So when we moved here, it was a very different process, but it still, it worked out. And every time that I think like to myself, like, oh, just be easier to just do blah, blah, blah. You know, to not, whatever it is in life. I have to say that I'm so glad I had my mother's example. Um, and maybe through the nice diagnosis, it was even more a powerful example because uh -huh. I got to see the template of what it means to advocate for somebody. And that's how we all advocate for ourselves. We have to see that. So I just want to say to parents out there, if you have a child with nice diagnosis, it's not the end of the world. Your child's going to have a wonderful life. Do not let any doctor out there tell you that they're going to have something other than a wonderful life because it's very, very, very possible. And don't, don't give up on that. Use the, the internet research. How did, how did your mom, you know, Frankie, how did you get to a good specialist or doctors in your life for your nystagmus? She just kept looking until she found looking? some that worked. Yeah, the, the, I've been, we've came across a few doctors who weren't so good. Um, I've, I, I ran into a few doctors who told me I couldn't wear contacts. 
and others who said I could wear contacts, but only these glass permeable ones, which these are like these hard contact lenses, super uncomfortable, not fun. And so that's definitely one of the surprises that has come to me from this podcast is all of my guests who are wearing contacts, but they're, they're soft contacts. So now like, I'm, I'm very curious about that, but yeah, my mom has done, like I say, almost every time I talk about her, but she, she's done great when it comes to bringing me up, um, especially with the nystagmus and she, she's never told me that I was different than anybody else. She, if I wanted to play football, she let me play football. If I wanted to play any sports, she let me play any sports. I think it's just one of those things are your limits are where you set them. And, and there's some things that are out of control. Like we said earlier, like I'm not going to be a pilot. I, <laughs> I'm fine with that. But a lot of things are really, um, are really achievable regardless of the nystagmus. And I also think driving is kind of a good example with that too, because there's a lot of people who drive with nystagmus, but there's a lot of people who don't drive. And for yeah. me, I'm one of those people who, who don't drive, but I do have a license. And I think if I actually, driving is kind of a tough subject because like I'm scared that maybe I'll hit somebody due to my vision or like maybe I'll, there's something that I just didn't see and then it could cause an accident. So maybe, maybe driving wasn't the best example of, you know, where, where to set your, about how limitations can affect you but yeah it, it is really nice diagnosis really is one of those things about like don't set your limitations too low keep keep the roof high and i think that's that's an obligation that the parent has is to, you know let let your kid shoot for the stars really how do you feel I, about that i i totally agree and i think that our parents are a template for how we view the world how we view ourselves, mm -hmm. especially under that 10 year old range. So even though like in the example I gave earlier, my mom was realistic in telling me, you're probably not gonna be a cop, but you're gonna, there's so many things you can be, you know? So it's like, I think um, managing that is such an important role of a parent. And just, I, I can't reiterate enough how important it is. A child with nice you're gonna have a bumpier ride, probably the most, I know I did. But the resiliency, that a child can have from having a condition like nystagmus is actually huge. I'm kind of glad I have it. Like I would, I would still probably get rid of it if I could, but I'm still <laughs> kind of glad I have it in that um, it's taught me just to fend for myself and to be resilient. And if I can't get something done the first way, I'll find a way to get it done some other way, you know, especially with like technology now, you know, it's, there's very, very few things that I can't do. I remember driving across the country when I was in college, I was like 19, 20 years old. I had a big map driving from Iowa to Florida, like 24 hours straight driving. And I was like, damn it, I'm gonna force myself to get out there and live life and drive this country. I love road trips and I did it by myself. And it was really, you know, driving that, well, Georgia, I know you're in Georgia, driving the, like the six lane interstate there around Marietta, Atlanta, Georgia was always kind of like a white knuckle moment, right? But it was good for me. You know, to your point, you know, my depth perception is not great compared to other people. However, I know that and I can um, mitigate that risk by just taking a little extra caution and care to leave a bigger gap between myself and the next person. And that's something I do subconsciously. I was actually talking with my husband the other day about what he thought about my driving. And my husband with 20-20 vision is like, I don't like you driving. But he knows, he knows why I'm driving that way. Well, at a slowdown, maybe a red light's coming, it's gone yellow, red. Um, I'm slowing down before he would want to slow down, but I'm slowing down because I want to make sure to leave lots of room between me and the next car. Sure. I'm not driving with 80 year old grandma, but I'm just being cognizant of things that I know are a little bit more um, sensitive for me, you know, and again, um, thinking too about, am I having a really stressful day or my eyes are jerking? You know, there's some, some deviation each day and just being cognizant of that and having driven now for, oh gosh, dating myself close to 30 years. Um, I've had one accident the result of driver destruction. Never have I had another accident. It was very unique situation <laughs> involving my dog peeing in my brand new car. So oh it's, it's <laughs> it was very unique. <laughs> I gotta say that's a very inspiring story that you that you were saying about when you were 19 and you were driving across the country from Iowa to Florida. That that's especially inspiring to me just because because uh, I'm not really driving right now. And I, I love road trips. I love going on them. And I've always really wanted to do that. And I haven't really given myself the opportunity because like I said earlier, I kind of put my, uh, 
I lowered the the ceiling for myself and I don't feel like I've given myself um, enough benefit of the doubt. Like, I don't think that I've, you know, so I think that that's something that I definitely want to get back to doing is driving it because I've spoken to so many of you guys who drive now and for, for you, for example, you're seeing 2070 and that's a, honestly, I think I'm seeing a little bit better than that. So, I mean, if, if you're driving with 2070, I feel like I should be able to drive with 2060. I, I would hope. It's practice. it's practice, you know, and I think so many times too, and we're all different, right? But we all believe the narrative we tell ourselves. We all believe that what our parents tell us. We all believe what the doctors tell us to some degree, right? So, but again, science doesn't know everything. I could see ants crawling on a, on a clothesline. My mother could not. I've seen things, there's some other day that I was able to see that my husband could not. Just so different things, vision's not, it's so much more than just looking at letters on an eye chart at the Department of Motor Vehicles, oh, right? Yeah. That's yep. like, <laughs> um, I can see an object. I can see something coming towards me. Can I always make out what it is or what, like a, a person, like a person's face? I can't always make that out, but I can see that. I can see something in the road. You know, there's been times before, like I see like maybe a black trash, trash bag on the road all, you know, bunched up and like from a distance I'm like is that a trash bag or could that be like a black dog is that an animal and so yeah. I just have more caution right I slow down a little bit more and make sure what I what am I dealing with here um and so things like that we just I think with nice segments we're constantly making accommodations for ourselves in our minds anyway I mean think back to when you're in school you know just different things that we do to to get through our lives that we forget about um but they're all in there because it's the way we live so I would say that get out there and practice a little bit and get their confidence up. And I have no doubt you'll be taking a road trip in no time. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's one of my goals this year is to go on a road trip. So maybe I'll do some driving on there. Yeah, That'd be really exciting. Did you start driving when you were 16? You just got right to it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I started driving at 16. I was so embarrassed, Frankie. Um, I had my permit until I was 18 because when I, when I was 16 in Iowa, I got a license that was for 35 miles per hour max, no driving the interstate, no driving at night. That was like the initial license I got. And I kind of had to work my way up and prove myself from there. So when I got that license, you know, going to um, driver's ed with my peers who school was challenging for me. Um, we moved a lot. Uh, part of the reason we moved a lot was because of my nystagmus. My mom was always looking for a better classroom size, a better school. I went to private school for three years to kind of help with that. Um, and then by the time I got to high school, it was it was just a it was an awkward time. Um, but I didn't want to let the other kids know how awkward I felt, right? So I'm just like I'm gonna skip driver's ed altogether and not let them know about my condition, you know? Because anything when you're younger that's different, it feels so ex excluding, exclusive. To, to let others know that there's something different about you. Even though we're all different, I've never maybe met a perfect human being, perfect mentally, perfect physically, perfect eyes. I've never met somebody perfect in all categories, right? But it's just something where I felt very different. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't actually go through driver's ed. I just got my license at 18 to save kind of the, at the time I felt embarrassment for having an eye condition. I don't feel that now. Mm -hmm. I wish in hindsight, I would just said to everybody in driver's ed and been like, hey guys, I got the bad eye, so I'll drive the streets, you know, but I didn't have that confidence then. Um, and I wish I would have taken it. Did, did you take driver's ed, Frankie? No, I did not. You did not do driver's ed. Why didn't you do no. it? Same thing. That was never even an option for me. I mean, no. maybe it was. I don't remember seeing that on the sheets at school. <laughs> maybe it was, maybe if it was there, I would have taken it. I don't, I don't know. I never saw it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and every school's different. Every school's different. So that could be the case. I just, uh, I wish I would have learned to parallel park. I think drivers that could have taught me that. <laughs> mm, yeah. But I couldn't handle <laughs> it in my life. <laughs> I took some driving classes before I got my license, but they never taught me how to parallel park, actually, though. Oh, I, they taught me the three-point <laughs> turn, because I guess you don't need the parallel. Yeah, when I took the test, I didn't need the parallel park, so they only taught me what I needed on the test. Oh, okay. Well, then yeah. I didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just drive an extra block around the block if I have to parallel park. It's no big deal. I think everybody does that pretty much. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so earlier you were saying you didn't really have the confidence to when when you were eighteen in class to be like, oh, I'm the person with the bad eyes. I'll take the streets. Um, when would you say you started gaining some more confidence in yourself? When did that kind of start to shift in your life? 
it, it really took a while. It really took a while. I think with nystagmus, and I have nystagmus, my mom had it a touch. I actually have a cousin that has it quite severely, um, but we were never close. So it's very isolating, right? And had I had a Frankie in my life back when I was like 1920, we could have talked about it and like not feel like I was on such an island, right? But, um, but it was very isolating. I really kind of, for many years, kept it hidden from other people. Um, I always was worried that people, and I was always kind of like, you know, type A, like, you know, um, non, non bad girl, let's just say that like that. But I would get jokes at school and stuff about, you know, people would ask me, are you on drugs? Why are your eyes drinking all the time? And I really just tried to kind of like ignore it and yeah. um, hope people didn't notice. And so it probably took me until I was in my early 30s, I think around 29, 30, where a big, like, I remember this day. I remember the moment still. I was at work. I was an underwriter at the time. So, you know, you're when you're an underwriter, you're looking again at a screen all day long, right? And looking at really little numbers and income tax returns, whatever. And my eyes were just really, it was a struggle. And we got a new system at work where it was even a smaller font. So, I mean, you know, my, here's my computer monitor, right? I'm like, oh, I'm right up here against my computer monitor. <laughs> and that's not a good look, nor is it good for my eyes or my neck or anything. And so one day I had my face pressed against my monitor. Oh boy, that was definitely not good. <laughs> but I, <laughs> my, I had my face pressed against my monitor per normal, pretty much for my eyes. And I had a coworker come by and just say, why don't you get a new monitor? And I said, well, what do you mean? This monitor's fine. He's like, you have to look really close because you have a disability. And he's like, I have a disability too. When he was a kid, he had been very close to a lightning strike that had taken out the hearing in one of his ears. And he's like, if I had a hearing problem here, I would just ask for what I need. You have a vision problem. Just ask for what you need. So sure enough, I just went to my boss that same day. I was like, he's right. Why am I making this like somehow I'm inferior to anybody else? Because I'm not. It's just, again, none of us are perfect, you know? So I went to my boss that same day. And I was like, hey, I didn't really use a bigger monitor. Can I get a bigger monitor? She's like, sure. I think I had a bigger monitor in like a week time. And it was big. And everybody on the floor noticed it. All my other little underwriter peers noticed it. And I got lots of questions about how did you get that? I want that. Where'd you get that from? <laughs> Nobody once asked me, why did you get that? And, and people were just jealous. People with good vision were like, oh, I want a monitor like Talese. And so, you know, I could have probably seized the opportunity to kind of say right then, educate on my nystagmus, but I, yeah. I didn't. But that was a watershed moment in that that afforded me the future opportunity to recognize we're all different. I could, I now am in a place in my life where if I meet somebody new, for example, in our neighborhood here, I just tell folks, like, I have an eye condition um, that it makes my eyes jerk a lot. So if you ever notice that, just, just my eye condition, because I don't want people to think that I am on drugs, right? Because um, I forget people can see that. When I'm face-to-face -face with a new person, they can see my eyes jerking constantly. And they may not ask, but they're probably wondering, why are they doing that? They may yeah. never have met somebody like me. So now I just, like, I had a phone interview, or I'm sorry, a Zoom interview a few weeks ago, where I just addressed it. I said, by the way, if you notice my eyes jerking, I do have an eye condition that causes that. It does not affect my ability to perform any role in, in this in this position or any doing this position, but just want to let you know. Um, and I have no problem doing that. And never once, like, people are curious, but they're not like, oh, really? They're just like, oh, interesting. I've never heard of that. So um, it's much more something now over um, the last 10, 15 years where I've just, like, I proactively address it now. And I wish I would have done that, like, you know, First day of kindergarten, quite honestly, but <laughs> I didn't have the words and didn't understand it then. Do you think that you bringing up your nystagmus when you're first meeting somebody has affected your ability to have a relationship? Do you think that that kind of, oh, yeah. yeah? I do. One of the powerful things that my husband told me after acupuncture started, he said, you actually look me in the eye. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, because your eyes jerk so much it's like you're not actually looking me in the eye. And when I thought about that, I thought how many relationships has that impacted over the years? People thinking I'm not actually making eye contact with them. When I'm doing my darndest to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But depending on my eyes that day, I might not be able to keep eye to eye contact. And I think about even like things like, you know, flirting back in the day, you know, making eye contact with somebody. I couldn't do that. You know, I don't even know if somebody's making eyes at me because I can't tell what their eyes are doing. So um, I was never flirting across the room or anything. But all these little things, they do affect one's life. They do. They are things that make my life different. So now I control that. I control the narrative. I control um, so much more of my life that I, than I wish many years ago I would have had. I had the confidence to really just lay that out for people and right. 
think it opens door for them to say, oh, that's interesting. I have this. I've had that before. Have you ever had that? You tell somebody some weakness you have and they, I think it just human re- reaction is to be like, hey, don't feel bad. I have blah, blah, blah. 100%. Helps support, <laughs> can form a friendship that way. <laughs> it's, there's something about just being vulnerable with somebody yeah. when you're first meeting them, just psychologically, it really will open you two up to each other. And it can yes. certainly, like for me, 100%, it will definitely affect my ability to, to have a relationship with some people. So, yeah. you know, my, my, my best friend, George, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but my pretty much my first interaction with him was him saying, dude, what, what the hell are your eyes doing? Like, you should you make that stop, please. <laughs> you just <laughs> call like, him spade a spade, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, I was like, you know, it's just something I was born with. That they do it and I can't control it. And he was just fine with that. And then that was it. And, there you go. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, they're curious, but people are afraid to ask things. 100%. So just really remembering to tell people like what's happening. Um, and I think too, like in my relationship with my husband, it's actually kind of a nice thing. I feel like he has hearing problems, hearing challenges, and I have eye challenges. So it's really, it's at first it was something where like, I didn't want him to know the things I couldn't see. I still felt a little bit like, oh, I don't want him to know, you know, but now I'm I just that. like. <laughs> I do that. 100%. It's, it's, you know, vulnerability is scary sometimes, right? But like the other day, like I was saying, we had an eagle up in the tree. He's able to point to the eagle. I get the binoculars out or the telescope and then I can partake as well. And what he's able to see with his naked eye. So I'm very, very grateful. And I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's a weakness. I do feel like nystagmus is a disability. I thought a lot about that just because I have to make special accommodations for a lot in life to do what I want to do a lot of times but I do it at the point where it's just natural for me. You know, I go to a restaurant, I can't read the menu. I take a picture of my camera and I blow it up. Those mm-hmm. are all things I just do to accommodate what I need in life. Um, but I definitely think from a, a relationship aspect, I wish I would have been more forthcoming earlier in life. I think it has been something where people probably didn't know what, what to make of it sometimes. So, do you think yeah. that that guy who brought that to your attention uh, in the office, did you make him aware how much that has affected your life? We, we talked about it after, I think I, I remember turning all red after that. Like, you're just like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of one of those oh, dumb moments, right? <laughs> I made it all about myself for so long thinking like, I, I somehow have this affliction that, you know, and he just brought me out of it like that. And this is how I think we all help each other as human beings, right? He's like, you know, I have something that's not perfect about me. I'm not ashamed of it. Not something I asked for, not something I choose. I just have it. And that's not my fault. I'm going to, same way with me now, you know, it's like, I'm, if I need something special, then I'm just going to go ahead and get it for myself or ask for it or make it happen. Because at the end of the day, we all have to be our own advocates. You know, if you've hopefully you've had a good parent advocating you for the first 18 years, but after that, you have to advocate for yourself. And no yep. matter what your impediments are in life, you have to be able to do that. For sure. So, so like you mentioned, you do consider it to be a disability. What would have to happen for you for it to not be classified as, as a disability for you? If it really had no impact on my life whatsoever, um, I would not consider it a disability. So the biggest thing for me is, I think, the driving piece. Uh, right now in Colorado, you know, I'm, I'm able to drive. I have a five-year license here. Uh, if that were to change, if they were to able, if they would change their requirements, or right now, basically, I'm able to do that off a of driver's uh, uh, doctor's saying that her vision is stable and sufficient to drive at all speeds, day and night, all that kind of stuff. And he said that that that's good for five years. Now, if, for example, um, something happened, I couldn't, I couldn't drive in the future, state, the state changed their laws or whatnot, that would mean I would have to change my whole life and move to someplace that has probably a major city that has good public transportation. And anything where I'm going to have to change my life to that degree, I consider a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, I also consider the fact that it does impede things. You know, I mean, we, we laugh and joke about, um, you know, what I really want to be a cop anyway. I don't know that that would have, was my career path, but it was something that was not available to me because of this thing with my eyes, you know? And, and I, I really, I've struggled a lot thinking about, I wouldn't have a few weeks ago said it's a disability because it's not the way I look at it. But when I really sat down and read the, dis- the description of a disability and really got honest with myself, I think it is a disability. Um, I'm very grateful it's not, I don't have worse vision. I know I could have worse vision with nystagmus. Um, but I think I go back to when I was in third grade, we, um, my mother and I took a Greyhound bus trip from Des Moines, Iowa to Clearwater, Florida. So that 24 hour 
car ride that I made as a teen or a young college person, um, we did on the Greyhound bus circuit. We did it that way because we were quite, we were on a budget <laughs> and I was considered legally blind. And when you're legally blind, at least back in like, I don't know, 1985, you could ride the Greyhound for free. And ah. so I remember that very much being this thing in my mind where I was like, but I'm not blind, mom. You know, I'm not. Why should I get special treatment? And she's like, well, technically you are. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it works out good for us. But I, I kind of went back to that moment in my mind too. You know, it's like, I don't like to view it that way, but it is a disability to some degree when I really put it down to brass tacks. Okay. So how do you feel about it, Frankie? Do you feel as a disability or just something that you accommodate? Probably more of the second one. I. It was more of a disability to me when I was more insecure about it and not so confident in myself. Um, and that that's certainly changed for me a little bit over the last few years. I think the only thing, honestly, that it stopped me from doing, that I allow it to stop me from doing, if I'm being honest, is the driving thing. A anything else, I, I still read whatever I want to read. Maybe I have to hold things a little close to me, but that's more of like an accommodation. Like it's not like it stops me from reading. If, if I were to try to think of other things, the only other thing that really bothers me is it's hard for me to go to, let's say a sporting event. So if I want to go to a football game, I can't see anything. Yeah. Uh, I could look at the big screen, but it's not as fun. I might as well just look at it on the TV if I'm going to look at it on the big screen. I could yeah. also take some binoculars with me. But th that's like aesthetically, I don't know, like that's not a good look either. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know that I consider it to be a disability for myself. But I also think the, the difference in our responses is just what we classify to be a disability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for you, a disability is just, from, from what I'm taking, is just something that affects your life that like, that affects your life in a way that some things will be a little more difficult or some, which yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's how, for me personally, how I would classify a disability. Like for me, a disability is like, it's going to stop me from doing some things. Like maybe I can't read. I feel like if I couldn't read, that would be a disability. So I'll give you another example with my eyes and driving. I don't like to drive at night. I can drive at night legally, but I don't like to, it doesn't make me feel like I am at my best in the driver's seat. So I honestly, without my husband, I probably wouldn't drive over at night. That would be scary for me because in an emergency situation, I guess I could. And I, like I say, I legally can, but do I feel comfortable with it? Not really. Um, so there again, I feel like that is something where it precludes me from doing certain things in my life. I, again, I probably could. I, I, I do on occasion, but it's not something with which I have. I know my limits, you know? If I had to go in an emergency situation, came up, I had to drive to Denver two hours away or an hour away. It'd be very difficult for me. And I have for to be sure. honest with myself. That's a disability in my eyes. For sure. I get that. I see your perspective on that. So we spoke about this a little bit in the pre-interview. Um, yeah. the, the difference between nystagmus in a male and nystagmus in a female. What, what's your perspective on that? How, how can those differ? Well, you know, I've, I've often thought about that. So I want to hear, you know, I can tell a woman's perspective, but you have to join me for the man's perspective. Because Let's do it. <laughs> well, I just was even thinking about, you know, I commented earlier on like, you know, making eye contact across a, a crowded room or something, you know, things that I take for granted um, that I don't do are actually a big part of life for many people. And a big part of that is like when you're a man, you know, driving to a date, uh, picking somebody up you know, having the, the role of kind of like seeing the things or like, you know, um, being the leader for that, maybe the partner in the relationship, right? That's what my husband does for me. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking back over the years about just, and, and girls can be very challenging too, like growing up. But I think that the way that girls maybe bully your view, uh, a weakness in another girl is a little more catty, a little more clicky, a little more like um, gossipy. Uh, and I just was kind of thinking about, if I was a man with nystagmus, how would that have shaped me? Because even though that was hard, you know, it's no fun to kind of feel like people are talking about you behind your back or making fun of you for something you can't control or whatnot. Um, there was a time in my life, I think it was third and fourth grade, I had large print books. Um, there was a lady that came to school and was trying to, you know, be helpful for students that had disabilities. And she's like, we can get you all your books in large print. Would you like that? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. I didn't realize that when I got the large print books, they would literally take over my whole desk as a third grader. Like they would cover my whole desk. Mm -hmm. 
which obviously made me um, very susceptible to bullying um, in elementary school. And again, I wish in retrospect that I would have had the you know, wherewithal to be able to stand in front of my third grade class and be like, hey, you guys, my eyes don't work that great, but I'm otherwise pretty cool. Uh, just accept <laughs> me as I am, right? But I didn't. So yeah, but what a third, what third grader can't, you know, <laughs> Not this comes one. later in uh, life. Not this one either. But, <laughs> uh, but just really kind of thinking about, you know, that was hard. Um, and I think that I got probably a milder version of it. And in my relationships, dating relationships and so forth, I was honestly looking for men that had good eyes. It was something where I was like thinking if everything, anything ever gets serious, I want a partner that if I ever had children, um, brings to the table 2020 vision. And I just kind of thinking about that in the, and after our conversation, um, Frankie was curious about, you know, your experience dating or, or growing up or as a, as a man with a nice diagnosis, if that's similar to you, or if you felt like it was a different, um, different being a man. Um, yeah, so as far as the dating goes, I think it's really just a learning experience. I think it it coincides with kind of bringing up the elephant in the room. So the first date that I went on with a girl, I didn't tell her about the eyes until we were on the date. And and I only brought it up because they started going crazy. So they started going crazy. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was just saying, oh shit, she she's gonna have no idea what's going on here, and I'm gonna have to explain this. And sure enough, the explanation was pretty awkward, or at least from my perspective, I was pretty uncomfortable explaining it to her. But she made me feel comfortable about it. She said, oh, it's fine. Like my hair doesn't do things that I want it to do sometimes. So that was a pretty good response, actually. Um, by the way, so so it's almost the same as eyes. Hair and eyes are like pretty much the same in my book. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I really think being open about it is important. And if they don't want to date you because of the eyes and you guys weren't, you know, met for each other anyway, is the way I look at it. At it. So yeah, from, from that experience on, I, I mention it anytime before I go on a date with somebody or before I see a girl and especially if it's online, because if it's online, I just feel like it's something that should be brought up um, before I go out. And in terms of you know, being the man and kind of being the leader in situations like that, that's something that has been difficult for me, for sure. Like not being able to pick the girl up or, you know, having to do an Uber. Like for, for my first date, I had to, um, I pretty much Ubered over to her house and we both took the Uber over to wherever we were going. And, you know, it was fine. Like it, wor it worked out fine. But I told her that I was Ubering because I didn't have a car. I didn't tell her that I was Ubering because my, my vision was poor. So it was just, you know, that's actually just not even I advice, but that's, I think it's funny me giving relationship advice, but it's really <laughs> more, more of relationship advice is just kind of honesty, open book. Yeah. Honesty. Yeah. But I think there is pressure more on men to be like, uh, I don't know. I see it with my husband a little bit. I said, sure, but he has a little bit of hearing loss. There's, I think just a social pressure in our society that, mm -hmm men are supposed to be kind of perfect physically, right? You're not supposed to have like, um, going back to our hunting and gathering days, you know, like a, a visual um, challenge is, is, I think still something exists in society where that's a little bit harder for men, you know? You think even about like the military draft, you know? I remember watching a movie back when a man couldn't be drafted because he had, I think, flat feet or something. And I was watching it thinking about, now, I wonder if a man, man could probably be drafted in the military back in World War II for nice Agnes and how that must have felt, you know, because yeah. here's all your, friends, your comrades, they're all fighting a war that you want to be fighting, but you can't because your eyes. And I was just thinking about it in the context of how does that feel? Do you feel like, you know, um, so honestly, sorry to, to interrupt you there. Um, no, no, go ahead. That was actually a positive thing for me because <laughs> I didn't, because I can't be drafted and I, I like that. <laughs> I, if I'm being totally honest, I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I think to me that's more of a positive than it is a negative. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in terms of socially uh, being the man and, and doing that, that that has definitely affected me. And I've definitely been insecure about that. Not even that long ago. Like just, you know, I've, you know, d dating is definitely not the easiest thing with it just because it requires, I, I feel like, in a way, I kind of have to compensate because of the eyes. Like if, if I can't see things, I have to, um, like there's other things that I, that I have to do um, to make up for it. But also, you know, I really don't think that my vision is 
that bad. Like it's not noticeable, you know, at work. I don't have people going to me and being like, Hey, Frankie, like, why couldn't you see that? Like if somebody points something to me, I'm, I see it most of the time. And if also, by the way, if I don't see, it, I'll just nod my head and then they'll just stop asking me about it. <laughs> so, did you see that? Yep. Yep. I did. Yes. I, I saw that. Yes. <laughs> do, do you ever get it where, where they say, do you see it? And you nod your head and they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> my husband's caught on a little bit more. Like sometimes I'll just say yes to him. And, and then he's like, did you really? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, and it kind of goes back to just, do I want to be vulnerable in that moment? and share with them that my eyes, even if I maybe told them how that my eyes are bad, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm to a very, very minuscule moment where I now have something to say, whatever you're seeing, I ain't got a clue. And to me, that's a little bit harder than just saying, I got bad eyes. We can go back to like the disability accommodation thing. There's things my husband sees, I can't even see. And then I have to really think about, Celine, honestly, if I'm being honest with myself, I can't even see something that he's seeing with his naked eye. I have to kind of think about what else am I missing, you know? Yeah. So again, I don't, I don't feel like it's like, I struggle with that because I don't know what I'm missing really other than the, I know my eyes are bad, um, but they could definitely be worse. And I have to appreciate that they're not worse. And I have to appreciate that my life's pretty darn good as it is. And I'm appreciative of everything that I have and everything that I was taught to get through challenging times. And a lot of that was because of my eyes. And I'm very grateful yeah. for my mother. <laughs> That's great. Being being appreciative is huge and being grateful is huge. And that's something that I missed out a lot, a lot on when I was growing up, just thinking about all the negatives, not even just my, with my, with my eyes, but just bad things, just things that I would think about nonstop. And then it's not until you get out of that and learn to start being grateful that you can actually start to change the quality of your thoughts, which then would change the quality of your life, which is... I think that's just one of the things that's happened to me within the last three years that has made me, made me more comfortable with my eyes and just with myself in general, really. So that's also just some advice to anybody who's young. Um, let's say they're in high school or middle school and they're getting you know bullied or they're really insecure about their eyes. I think just just work on yourself. Figure out a good way of thinking, like think positively you know, think realistically, but I mean, you could think realistically and positively at the same time. Yes. Um, positive things are just as realistic as negative things. So just shift your focus towards things like that. And you'll see your life yes. slowly start to shift in a more positive um, glass half full direction. So some, some well advice said. for me. Yeah. Very well said. I think that's, that's perfect. And I want to take an opportunity to tell one more story if you don't mind about my family. So I mentioned earlier that I have a cousin who has nystagmus and he, my cousin's about 20 years older than I am. So we, we were never terribly close growing up or whatnot, but he like myself and my mother are a redhead, very, very fair skinned. And I think what's, it's inspiring for me to tell his story and it kind of just like flows so well from what you just said, Frankie, about being grateful. Um, again, back in like the 70 type seventies, there was not a lot that was viewed as things people with nystagmus could do. And when he was in high school, he wasn't doing great as a student. Um, and his parents were told that basically he needed to learn a trade, that there wasn't really anything for him to do with his eyes, but learn a trade. And that probably something, not even like an electrician type trade, like a really kind of a lower level trade and piano tuning was recommended for him. Now this is a very bright man, very bright. Uh, and he was sent to school to become a piano tuner. This literally drove him insane. He literally left the piano tuning academy institute, whatever it was, and, and wandered off. And, and it was a very dark episode in his life. But I want to share that um, despite this, this man kind of reset his life. He is now a, a software engineer. I mean, something where you think nystagmus, this guy's in computers. Yeah, he is. He has a bigger nice. monitor like I, like I have. He, has, he wears thick glasses, which incidentally, I don't wear glasses or contacts. I just go with what I have until I drive and I throw my glasses on. But, um, and I mean, you would never know today, he drives, he goes to the same specialist I see at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, who's Dr. Mark Wilkinson, by the way, if anybody's interested, he's wonderful. Um, so, you know, there's, there's always hope. And I think part of that too was a big mental shift for him. You know, his parents, he had all been told his whole life that really your future is going to be doing something very menial. Um, and so that's what he allowed himself to believe. And he really kind of had to have that break in his life to be able to see, does this make sense? I know I can do more than this, you know, and to be able to uh, chart a new path and be grateful that, again, he was his own advocate. He was able to exceed the expectations of specialists. So 
um, to your point, I think that there was a huge mental shift that was a yep. catalyst for that. Good. So, I mean, that, that's a motivational story right there. We, we spoke, thought, we spoke about your cousin briefly, but I didn't, I don't remember you telling me about the second half of the story. I mean, maybe you did, oh, but that's the good remember. part. That's about, yeah. He's, he's, a, <laughs> he's driving around Iowa. He's a computer guy. He's living oh. a life. And so I just think him. that, yeah, don't ever give up in life. You never know what's coming around the corner. So, and you're right. It's so much is mental. So much. It is. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we should end it here. I think this would be a good note to end it off. What do you think? I think it's a great note. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to conclude the episode here. Um, so yeah, hopefully everybody enjoyed listening to it. Um, you know, if, if, if you liked the episode, please, you know, give it, give us a like, subscribe to the channel, all that fun stuff, subscribe to the channel, follow the Instagram accounts all that fun stuff so all right